0: Okay, well every blessing to you all and welcome back to my open air pulpits. I'm happy to say that the road has reopened and therefore I am back at my glorious open air pulpits. Just jump out a camera shot for a few seconds and allow you to enjoy the backdrop. I should say that I'm currently using a new camera and uh, you may have noticed that the picture is a lot sharper, so much so that you get the impression that perhaps I didn't shave during my last message when, if the truth be known, I did shave. But the resolution on this uh, new camera is what they call uh, super high definition. So the picture is much sharper and the audio, praise the Lord, is much sharper as well. Somewhat overcast, somewhat uh, blustery you wouldn't think it's August, would you? And I think, if the truth be known, we probably have had our summer. We had a couple of uh, nice weeks back in June, and then July came, pretty wet, pretty uh, nondescriptive. And here we are, middle of August almost, and it's very overcast, not particularly nice. But anyway, never mind the uh, <laughs> the weather update. I want to continue to work for the book of Genesis. And I first looked at Genesis 2009, 2010, like the first 11 chapters. Just a very general overview. And then 2013, I looked at Genesis again, the first 11 chapters for ETC Radio, and I wanted to keep those recordings very brief. In 2013, we were going out five minutes a day, and here we are four years later And by the grace of God, we are going out 30 minutes a day, seven days a week. So 2009, 2013, I got up to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Like I say, just a very general overview. And I thought, well, I've almost finished the New Testament. And incidentally, please join me this coming Sunday for 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm happy to say that so far I've accumulated over eight hours of material, from chapters 1 to 6. And this past Sunday, I was able to finish, by the grace of God, Second Corinthians chapter 6. So join me, please, this coming Sunday, 11 a.m. UK time, when I attempt to look at Second Corinthians chapter 7. So with the New Testament almost finished, and once I finish Second Corinthians, I will look at Philemon, and then that's it. I have recorded every book. In the New Testament by the grace of God and therefore I would probably need a sabbatical. <laughs> now I'm only joking but I will probably need to look at the Old Testament and try and see what I can get from the Old Testament. I will say this that the Old Testament is a very difficult part of the scripture for me anyway to get my teeth into to read to understand and then teach but If you read the scriptures, if you take the time to study the scriptures, it does open itself up to you. So like I say, first 11 chapters have pretty much been done. So the plan will be for the next probably two, three months to work our way through Genesis and then finish by the grace of God, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis was written by Moses. And you say, how do we know that? Well, Jesus Christ told us that. And I would imagine that if he didn't know who wrote the first book of the Bible, nobody knows who wrote the first book of the Bible. In some ways, it makes no difference to us, those of us which are Bible believers, those of us which love the Word of God as to who wrote which book from the human perspective. We know that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. And we know that the Holy Spirit would come, would come over to different men, anoint different men, commission different men old testament new testament to write the scriptures so we're not overly bothered when it comes to for example who wrote first and second kings or who wrote first and second samuel yes we believe that samuel probably wrote first and second samuel and he probably wrote first and second kings but it really makes no difference to us because whoever the human author was of such books he wrote under the inspiration of the holy spirit like i say In fact, Peter says that uh, no prophecy came of any private interpretation, but holy men of God uh, moved, holy men of God spake because they're moved by the Holy Ghost, which means quite simply this, that those greats back in the Old Testament and those greats in the New Testament didn't just get together one day and say, hey guys, let's write a book. No, they wrote what they were told to write. Like I say, all scripture is inspired of God, which means that God has breathed onto the pages of holy writ so let's keep working our way through the book of genesis if we may and last time we got up to 25 looking at esau and jacob jacob have i loved being israel esau excuse me esau being edom have i hated and the calvinists come along they say well what you got there is a picture of two boys not yet born and the lord god has decided to love one and hate the other, which of course is incorrect. I mean, if that was the case, then ask yourself this, how do we know that the Lord doesn't hate us? I mean, if that is the case, if that is the correct exegesis, how do we know that the Lord isn't playing around with us? How do we know that he doesn't take great delight in seeing many of us just falling over ourselves? I mean, if that is the correct exegesis, then what hope is there for someone like you and I before we were even born? the context is quite simply in reference to two nations two nations one is israel the lord's beloved firstborn and the other like i say is esau feeding into edom incidentally if you speak to the muslims they would have you believe that esau is jesus and they get that from muhammad a man who couldn't even read or write and he made the case that jesus christ in the scripture is esau and yet esau is this like i said last week a Shameless type of guy, guilty of uh, sacrilegious uh, activities, selling his birthright and will lose his blessing. And we'll read about that shortly. And Jacob wasn't much better, very sly, very deceptive. So for a Muslim to teach that Jesus Christ is Esau or Esau in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ in the quran I mean, talk about a bungling mess. I mean of all the people in the bible to go back to and say that is the messiah is so confusing and from from our perspective so blasphemous but what do you expect a man who we are told would be rolling around the floor and i'm speaking about muhammad claiming to have seen visions and prophecies couldn't read or write and if he was to spend five minutes telling you anything you wouldn't give him the time of day would you in fact the asylum centers are full of people such as that of course they're called the mental house the nut house the uh place for those that have mental problems so it's worth just reminding ourselves that genesis is a very interesting book a very honest book a book about the lord's saints pre their salvation post their salvation And let me say this also, that for those of us which are saved, we don't need to bend over backwards to defend some of the actions of the Old Testament greats. For the Muslims, they have a much greater problem, because they believe their prophets were all sinless, including Muhammad, and yet Allah told him to repent like seven times, whereas Jesus Christ was never told to repent a day in his life. So they have the problem. They have the problem when it comes to their prophets being sinless, but for us, we know that the Old Testament prophets were not sinless. The New Testament apostles were not sinless. Only Jesus Christ was sinless. So let's start, if we may, in Genesis chapter 26. And there was a famine in the land. Beside so the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. If you think of a famine like today, like in Africa, you know within five minutes why such a famine is taking place and it's due to excessive sin if there's one thing that gets up my nose is when i come across online or on television or what have you vips like a star celebrities trying to raise money for their favorite cause and i've watched over the years clips online of people like george clooney john travolta tom cruise uh, Tom Hanks, some I in the list goes on and on and on, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, wanting to raise money for their favorite charity. And what normally happens is these people are invited into a TV studio, or they are pictured at the phone banks taking phone calls from their adoring fans. And you've got ordinary people phoning up, wanting to speak to their celebrity favorites, their idols. And these idols are worth millions, and they won't give any of their own money, but they expect you to give your money. And I thought to myself many times over the years, I thought this: that if every a, if, if every uh, A star actor in Hollywood, if every A star director, producer, scriptwriter in Hollywood sat down, and there's probably a few thousand of them, and wrote out a check for a million dollars you would probably raise $100 million, just like that. But what they don't want to do most of the time is give their own money away. They want to have their fans donate money on behalf of their idols to then be spent in third world countries. And of course, you know why they're doing that. They are doing that to ease their consciences. But a famine back in the land, picturing sin in the land. And I'll say this as well, when you think of famines... Today in Africa, like I say, or other parts of the world, nine times out of 10, it's due to excessive sin. The Lord is very merciful. He's not willing that any should uh, perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet saying that, let me say this. He's not some kind of uh, killjoy. He won't uh, slap you down the minute you do something wrong or the minute you enjoy life perhaps too much. But he won't sit back indefinitely. And if you've got people in Africa who are selling their children to much older men to become their sex slaves, and if you've got people doing wicked things with animals in parts of Africa, or if you've got people in parts of Africa eating each other, chopping each other up, I mean just excessive sin, what do you expect the law to do? What do you expect them to do? And because those countries are heathen, there's no light there. There are no say people praying and interceding for their neighbors. And yes, the gospel has been presented to such people. The word of God continues to go out all over the world like the shortwave radio, like television, like missionaries, like the internet. It's been said that most people around the world today have access to a mobile phone They're not all living in a cave somewhere or struggling (laughs) with dial-up. You know, they have got access to the outside world, but they don't want to know about the saviour of the world. They want to enjoy their sin for a season. But here there's a famine in the land and Isaac needs to find out what's going on because although he was saved, he and his seed will experience the problem, the... um, Repercussions of a famine which will feed into Joseph down the line, having to be a type of saviour to Egypt and also the children of Israel. Look at verse 2. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land and I will be with thee and will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed. I will give all these countries and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall the nations of the earth be blessed because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments my statutes and my laws now we know that Abraham wasn't saved by being a good man. He was plucked from obscurity. He was a pagan worshipper, and he no doubt worshipped many gods before the one true God stepped into his life and said, hey, I'm the one true God, walk before me, be perfect, so on and so forth. He was saved by believing. He was saved by believing on a promise. Fast forward to New Testament, we all got saved by believing on a person, the person that we believe on, have believed on, and will believe on, gave the promise and others back in the Old Testament. But Abraham believed, and it says it was accounted unto him for righteousness, justification by faith. Nobody in the Old Testament was born again. Nobody in the Old Testament was regenerated. Born again, regeneration is a New Testament doctrine. But those in the Old Testament that were saved got saved by believing on a promise. So it's going to be faith alone, Old Testament, faith alone, New Testament. I won't get into the tribulation and the millennium. I know our dispensational brethren will differ from me when I say that, and they teach different plans of salvation for different generations. I don't believe that. But Abraham is commended for obeying the Lord's voice, keeping his charge, the Lord's commandments, statutes, and laws. And yet, saying that, let me say this, although Abraham was blessed, justified, he made the uh, mistake with Hagar, and as a result, she gave birth to Ishmael, the so-called father of modern-day Islam. If that wasn't bad enough, he would have concubines like more than one, and he would sleep with his concubines, and they would fall pregnant as a result of Abraham, who around that time is well over 100 years old. And it's worth us just speaking about this for a few moments because what normally happens is if you speak to Muslims, for example, about Muhammad and Aisha, it's a difficult subject for them. They normally just try and ignore it, or they say, Well, how old is Mary? When she fell pregnant. But of course, we know Mary was in her teens. There was no sexual intercourse which took place. It was a supernatural act. Like the Lord would say, let there be life, let there be light. And it was so. And if the Lord wanted to just decree or just declare, just make her pregnant, no problem. But no intercourse took place, nothing underhand took place. But when we speak about Muhammad, when we speak about Ishmael, They are somewhat cagey about it, and it depends who you speak to. Yes, most of them know all about it. Some pretend that they don't, but they run to Mary and say, well, there you are, same sort of thing, which, of course, is not. But what they may suggest to us is, well, how about Abraham? Abraham had concubines. Abraham had children via the concubines. You are condemning us. You are condemning Muhammad, and, of course, we are. But you're not condemning Abraham. Well, hold on a second. Like I said a few moments ago, we don't read the scriptures and close our eyes to the transgressions of the saints. If we see something which is wrong, we speak against something which is wrong. Abraham had no right to have concubines. He had no right to have children from those concubines. We never said he was sinless. We never said the kings, the priests, the prophets, the patriarchs were sinless. We never said that. But the Muslims say that concerning their prophets. So there is a difference. There is a difference when it comes to those of us which are Bible believers, reading about the transgressions of Abraham. And don't worry, I'm sure he's had had to explain himself. I'm sure he had to defend his actions to the Lord when he was judged by him. So I just want to make that point because we don't want to on the one hand, become short-sighted, shall we say. We want to be honest, and we want to say, yes, the greats back in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament saved, like you and I are, through their faith in the one true God, still sinned. And Abraham sinned after his justification with the concubines, with the children, which goes back to favoritism. No doubt I will return to that shortly. But so far so good for the 26th chapter of genesis isaac is on track to receive a blessing isaac is going to be in the line of the messiah what a great blessing i mean it's one thing to be chosen from obscurity like abraham and then be guaranteed uh, a great blessing like you'll be the father of many nations but on top of that Like down the line, the Messiah will come from you. This also goes back to chapter 12. I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. I can't stress it enough for those of us which are saved to be uh, pre-millennial, of course, but also to defend Israel like their right to the land. We don't need to, again, become short-sighted and overlook some of the... uh, Transgressions of Israel today, Israel, for the most part, is a secular state, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if she's secular or into the Kabbalah or into Judaism. that makes no difference. The land has nothing to do with their religion. The land was given as a promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And on top of that, when the Messiah returns, he goes to Jerusalem. when the Messiah returns. You've had the 144,000 Jewish male virgins preaching the gospel. That's why it's called the Holy Land. Abraham is commanded, like I say, and it says in verse four again, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries. Now at the moment, Israel is for the most part back in the land in unbelief, but it makes no difference. It's their land. So get your hands off it, if you are a Catholic, if you are a Protestant, if you are a Muslim, it's not your land. Get your hands off it. It belongs to the children of Israel. And as of now, uh, the nation of Israel, like I say, is not only back in the land in unbelief, but they are also depending heavily on the Gentile nations, which is another problem. The Jews should be independent. They shouldn't need the help of the Gentile nations. The Jews should be leaning entirely on the Lord, on Almighty God. But at present, they are leaning on the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are helping them, like America. And hasn't she been blessed? Even Russia would abstain back in 1948 concerning Israel's uh, right to go back to the land. In fact, let me correct myself. Let me correct myself. Britain abstained and lost out on a great blessing. Whereas Russia and America voted in favour of Israel going back into the land and literally overnight Russia became a superpower the British Empire started to decline the American economy quadrupled and now they are probably the last final global world power until the Lord returns to set up his everlasting kingdom so if you stand with Israel as a nation you will be blessed if you stand with Israel As an individual, an individual, you will be blessed. If you stand stand with Israel in any way, shape or form, you will be blessed. But if you stand against Israel, if you attack Israel, if you put curses on Israel, if you attempt to undermine Israel, you will suffer the Lord's wrath. Just look at Turkey last year. There was a coup, a coup d'etat. And it came very near to their current president, being thrown out of power go back two years before that he put some very nasty statements out about israel he was cursing israel calling on all sorts of awful things to happen to israel and the lord almost almost took his kingdom from him but he was able to retain it not for his sake but for the lord's sake and perhaps the lord has a plan for turkey Hence why Turkey hasn't just collapsed like Syria. Six. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, she is my wife. lest said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, Because she was fair to look upon. Like his father would lie concerning sarah so isaac is going to lie concerning Rebekah. isaac is a saved man abraham was a saved man jacob was a saved man not born again fair enough not uh, not to regenerated fair enough but still born again through imputation the lord's imputation and yet here you've got a saint lying i mean like willfully lying lacking faith that Jehovah would preserve his wife because from his wife, the 12 tribes of Israel are going to come and he lacks faith. And that's why the apostles would say to the Lord, increase our faith. And you can pray for that uh, particular prayer if you are lacking faith. If you are saved and your faith isn't as strong as it should be, just ask the Lord to increase your faith, but help yourself at the same time crack open a Bible. Incidentally, I've been asked what Bible I use, and just a quick footnote before I forget, this is a uh, a Zondervan Zondervan Bible. One, I don't recommend it because uh, some of the words have been mistranslated, some more uh, major than others. Number two, it, I think, is part of the NIV publishing house, unfortunately, so I'm only using it because i got notes in here going back to 2005 when I first got it. I have another Bible which I use every Sunday morning which came from America from the publishing house. I think that's what it's called. Uh, a lovely large print Bible. But the downside to that Bible is there's no middle section. So there's nowhere to go for the cross-references. But apart from that, it's a great Bible to own. But here Isaac is aware that His wife risks being taken from him, presented to the leaders of the land, and therefore he has to lie. And yet what does Revelation say? All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Of course, you know that Revelation is speaking about people who were never saved to begin with. People that will pay for their sins upon death. The Lord's people, Old Testament, New Testament, sinned. And yes, they sinned willfully. And many times, I can't find anybody from the Old Testament, especially, or very few people, repenting. I can't find Abraham repenting for his concubines. I can't find Abraham repenting for the children that came from his concubines. He did such after he was saved. And as far as I can tell, he never never lost his salvation. If you could lose it, you certainly would. So here... Isaac, like Abraham, has lied. He's lied because he's weak. He's lied because he has lacked faith. And he's lied because he is fearful. He is scared. The apostles were scared after the Lord died on the cross. It speaks about them almost locking themselves in the upper room, terrified that the Jews would find them, put them on trial, like before the Sanhedrin, interrogate them, and hand them over to the Romans to be whipped and perhaps crucified, and they were terrified. And they too were saved, incidentally. So don't think just because you are saved that you will never be fearful, you will never sin. Saying that, let me say this. What we don't want to do is become an apologist or become apologists for sin. Just because we have a sin nature doesn't mean it's okay for us to sin. If we sin, we need to confess it if we do wrong and we will we need to forsake it we don't want to just gloss over it going back to the mistake that the Muslims make how all of their prophets including Muhammad were sinless didn't need to repent of anything whereas we're not so foolish we know that if the Old Testament greats could sin and they did if the New Testament greats could sin and they did what's to stop us from sinning let's not kid ourselves but at the same time, we're not gonna be guilty of just glossing over it. Look at verse 11, please. And Ablamech charged all his people saying, he that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, like I said last time, Rebecca and also Sarah are types of the church. The church is chaste. Uh, The church is a virgin. The church is pure. The church is sacred, the church is holy. That's why Paul says to, number one, renew your mind each and every day. Number two, control your bodies, your vessels, and also Peter would say to be holy, for the Lord is holy. So here you've got this Gentile leader, pretty fearful as to what would happen if one of his men gets involved with this woman, not just because she was married to Isaac, but because she's going to bring forth the Messiah Something special is going to come from her Okay She's in the line of the eventual arrival of the Messiah Verse 12 Then Isaac sowed in that land And received in the same year an hundredfold And the Lord blessed him It does appear at times that the Lord overlooks the transgressions of his people, which he's more than able to do. This is his world, and we are his people. David should have been put to death for his sins with Bathsheba, and the Lord decided to overlook David's sins. He decided to overlook Bathsheba's sins. What he wasn't prepared to overlook was the birth of their child, and the child was born very sick and of course you know the rest the child went on to die but here the lord isn't going to just zap isaac the moment he lies the moment he sins he will look at the larger picture and like i keep on saying abraham feeds into isaac isaac feeds into jacob okay it's important we get this right In fact, let me just clarify myself you're going to have jacob and esau brothers Isaac is the father of Jacob and Esau okay Isaac isn't sinless Isaac isn't perfect he's a good man but he's not perfect do you want to clarify that as the rain starts to come down 13 and the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great for he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. Servants, slaves, concubines, yes, such are found throughout the Old Testament. And the Lord doesn't condemn or condone or such. The Lord Jesus Christ will say that if you sin, you are a servant of sin. Old Testament is a different type of dispensation to the New Testament. The thought of someone today having slaves or servants is kind of uh, shocking to most people. And yet, if you look at the Middle East, many Islamic countries have servants, slaves from all over the world, and almost nobody speaks out against such. But the latter part of verse 14, the Philistines envied him. The Jewish leaders would envy Jesus Christ. Fast forward to today, if you have a successful ministry, if you are making a difference for the Lord, people are going to envy you. There could be saved people. they could be unsaved people. Envy, jealousy is a major problem. And if you don't get a hold of that, if you don't control it, it will just ruin you. The key, of course, is to be content with what you have. But here Isaac is growing. Isaac is Uh, Being able to enjoy the fat of the land, literally, he is expanding out. The Lord wants to take someone obscure, like I say, bless him and allow his kingdom to just quadruple, just expand out in a major way. But for the New Testament, it's a very different type of dispensation. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how he would live very simply and ask yourself this. Are we living in the same kind of way? Does our lifestyles match his? It doesn't have to be point by point. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. But if we are saved, if we are Bible believers, we should have quite a lot in common with the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ, like how they lived. What did Paul say? Let your moderation be known unto all men. 23. And he went up from thence to Bethsheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed as my servant Abraham's sake. Now the Lord wants to appear to Isaac. Most of the Old Testament greats were blessed to receive uh, dreams or a handful of dreams, or occasionally a holy man would be sent their way to speak to them. But to get a vision, to have Almighty God appear here the same night in a vision is extra special. I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not. There's that word again, don't fear. What does it say in First John? How Fear has torment. But uh, perfect love, perfect love, excuse me, perfect love, casteth out fear, for I am with thee, like Emmanuel, God with us, and will bless thee, going back to chapter 12, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. That's what this is all about, ultimately, for the sake of Abraham, for the sake of Isaac, for the sake of Jacob. The Jews are beloved for their father's sakes, not because they are a wonderful bunch of people. The church is beloved for the sake of Jesus Christ, not because the church is this wonderful organism, this wonderful uh, uh, organization, this wonderful uh, group of people. We're not wonderful in and of ourselves. We are far from wonderful in and of ourselves but we are beloved for our Saviour's sake and the Jews are beloved for their patriarch's sakes 25 and he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants digged a well altar worship pitched his tent there and on top of that, Isaac's servants digged a well. So they got servants, they've got slaves, they've got concubines. But would that mean they treated such people with contempt? Absolutely not. As we go through the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Bible, there were rules and regulations laid out for how the children of Israel were to look after their hired help, shall we say, But if you think of the American Civil War, for example, or if you think of the 1960s in America, for example, that type of slavery was very different to what was found in the scripture. On top of that, it could just be that the way the Jews operated back in Genesis, uh, before the law and after the law, Exodus chapter 20, with their servants, with their slaves, could perhaps be what will reoccur on the new earth for 1000 years when Israel is in the driving seats when Israel is calling the shots like I said at the moment Israel is very much dependent on gentile nations like Germany like America and Britain too to some extent but the time will come when she will be in the driving seat a nation such as America will probably no longer exist, Britain will no longer exist, Germany and other Gentile nations will probably no longer exist. We know from Revelation that by the time Christ comes back to rule and reign, half of this earth has just disappeared. It's either fallen into the ocean or has just melted away due to the Lord's anger. So at the moment, Israel, like I say, is Dependence on the Gentile nations But the time will come When the Lord will turn it around And they will be very dependent upon her Look if you will at verse 34 And Esau was 40 years old When he took to wife Judith The daughter of Beri the Hittite The Bashamoth The daughter of Elon the Hittite which were of a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob is Israel, Esau is Edom. Jacob is a nation, Eden is a nation. It doesn't concern the boys per se. And yes, of course, the Lord knew through foreknowledge that Jacob would be, quote unquote, better than Isaac. And it says that the Lord... uh, One more time, hated Esau, but loved Jacob, found in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. But that's based on foreknowledge. It's not based on one salvation. I mean, one more time, if we are to suggest or if we are to believe what the Calvinists tell us, that the Lord takes great pleasure, great delight in hating most and sending most to hell and loving a few and sending such people to heaven then we are in quite a bad way really because how can we be sure that the Lord isn't doing the same to us I mean here's a little story for you I'll get back to this in a minute during World War II Heinrich Himmler head of the uh, SS the Gestapo a ruthless man Catholic incidentally but also heavily involved with the occult was very impressed with the Jehovah's Witnesses And he said this to his officers. He said, uh, why is it uh, the case that these Jehovah's Witnesses are, number one, great workers, number two, don't cause any problems, and number three, when they go into the ovens, and yes, the Jehovah's Witnesses would also find themselves being exterminated along with the uh, Sodomites, Catholics, and yes, there were some Catholics in the death camps and other groups of people. It wasn't just the Jews, incidentally, that found themselves being uh, put in the ovens. It would fall to other groups that fell foul of the Third Reich. And he said this, what is going on? Why Why are the Jehovah's Witnesses? Why are the JWs rejoicing as they go into the ovens, singing their hymns? As they are about to be exterminated And yet I can't get my men Meaning the SS, meaning the Gestapo To come anywhere near That level of uh, braveness, dedication And he couldn't really work it out They are deceived, the JWs They are deluded, they are brainwashed But here's the point In their minds, they believe they have the truth They believe that they are the real deal And yet we know as Bible believers that they are unsaved, unregenerated. They are not the Lord's people. They attack the Lord's deity. But when it comes to what they believe, they believe they have the truth. They believe they are the real deal. And you could say, well, perhaps the Lord has brainwashed them or perhaps he has hardened their hearts. Perhaps he has deliberately deceived them. Now, I don't believe that. I know some of our our Calvinist, Brethren would take such a view i don 't hold to that. You could also say the same about the Mormons they 're up in numbers, thirteen million, I think it is now, and they too believe they have the truth. So if we want to go down this road, and if we want to accept what the Calvinists would have us believe that the Lord is behind everything, whether it 's good or evil, then you see the sort of problems that can come from such a belief. but he saw is disgruntled he is uh, disillusioned he is perhaps depressed as well going back to the loss of his birthright he thought nothing of giving it away Jacob uh, thought nothing of deceiving him and that's why I made the case that they were sly they were shameless also very young we're not sure exactly how old they were but we can probably say with some sense of uh, assurance that they weren't yet saved. And the Lord didn't just, like I say, zap them the moment they went down this path. He was very patient with them. It says the same from uh, the book of Romans, how he's very patient. He's long-suffering, and we forget that sometimes. It took me a long time to get saved, and it's taken me a long time sometimes to appreciate why things are the way that they are. And thankfully, the Lord doesn't just step in and eliminate us the moment we do wrong. But the latter parts, or verse 35, I should say, this uh, woman that Esau has his eye on, it says here, one more time from 34, Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Berry, which, uh, verse 35, were a grief of mind unto Isaac, and to Rebecca. Every parent wants the best for their child, and every parent wants their child or children to marry well. Most parents are not happy if their children undermarry. And on top of that, most parents, if they are saved, would be horrified for their children to marry unsaved people. I can remember speaking to a couple not very long ago who told me this. They said that... uh, one of their two daughters had been raised in a Christian environment and had met this Jewish man, had fallen in love with him, had married him and not only had she converted to Judaism, not only was she now involved with the Kabbalah but she had decided to cut her parents off because they are Gentiles and on top of that she's got two children with her Jewish husband and her children have never met her parents. This decent couple, both born again, incidentally, pre-millennial, pre-tribulational, love the Lord. And yet their daughter has just written them off. Their daughter has married an unsaved man, a Jewish man, and they have moved to Israel. And as far as they are concerned, the parents are unclean Gentiles. And as such, they have cut All lines of communication off. So I can not, I'm not overly surprised. I'm not overly surprised to read about uh Isaac and Rebecca very grieved that Esau has done what he has done. On top of that, they would have wanted him to marry into his own community, not a Hittite. But he's doing it deliberately. He's angry, you see. He's angry with his parents. He is angry with his brother, Jacob. He will plot, he will plan, he will scheme to kill his brother. Let's keep reading on. 27, one, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. This will go back to favoritism. And I think that favoritism is not only wrong, I would suggest it could also be sinful. Yes, we know that Abraham had a favorite son being Joseph. In fact, not Abraham, excuse me, uh, Jacob. Sometimes these uh, (laughs) uh, patriarchs can get a little confusing. Jacob's uh, favorite son was Joseph. And yes, Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son. But Almighty God didn't have other begotten sons. He had one begotten son. So he can say, this is my beloved son, my only begotten son, in whom I am well pleased. Fair enough. But Jacob had many children. And I will discuss one of the problems with favoritism shortly. Came to pass, 27.1, that Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim. He's almost blind. So that he could not see... He called Esau his eldest son, being his favourite, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. Now Isaac is getting up in years, and he wants to give his favourite son a blessing. Two. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take some venison." and take me some Venson, and make me savoury meat such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Isaac knew all about the promise made to himself and his wife. And yet Isaac, number one, is going to lack faith. Abraham would plead with the Lord to make Ishmael, preeminent the uh, number one the main son born to him he didn't want Isaac to be top dog if you will he wanted Ishmael and he was pleading with the Lord to make Ishmael the uh, preeminent of the two and the Lord said no I want it to be Isaac Isaac is going to be born to your wife you are now a Jew your wife is now a Jew Isaac will be born to Jewish parents I don't want Hagar being a Gentile to bring forth a son, which she would do, being Ishmael. And then somehow Ishmael being in the line of the Messiah. Absolutely not. This goes back to what I said last week, how the Lord is very picky. He, He would choose one nation on earth out of a number of nations on the earth. And from that one nation would come one man. For there is one mediator between men and God, the man, Christ Jesus. Very exclusive. But here, Isaac wants to be sure that the right son has come his way. He can't see. He's practically blind. So he is hoping that his son will be honest with him. And Esau has made his way into his father's presence, into his father's presence. And his father wants to have him go out, make him his favorite meal before he dies. In that verse 3, uh, I pray thee, take thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field. He was a man of the field, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter. He, you know, he, he would uh, know his way around places such as this. He would go to places such as this, and he would wait for the right animal to come along, shoot it, kill it, or not shoot it. He would destroy it. He would uh, use a bow and arrow, perhaps kill the animal and offer it up uh, as a sacrifice perhaps but more in line with the context enjoy it as a meal he knew what to do verse 4 again make me savory meat such as i love and bring it to me that i may eat that my soul may bless thee before i die he thought he was about to die he was incorrect there are many people who think they are about to die and are incorrect I can think of one sermon I heard back, well, it was recorded back in the 70s, before I was born, before I was even saved. And this sermon, recorded back in the early 1970s, a uh, very interesting sermon, incidentally. Uh, and during the sermon, the preacher said this. He said, uh, please pray for me all. Uh, I don't feel particularly well. I haven't been feeling particularly well for a long time. And I think that perhaps I am at the point of death. Fast forward nearly 50 years, the guy was still alive. He died last year, 94, 95. He thought he was at the point of death. He was wrong, of course. And here, Isaac thinks he too is at the point of death and he wants to enjoy his last meal, like the last supper, if you will. Five, and Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Now the plot starts rebecca saved i believe perfect absolutely not is she flawless absolutely not and yet we can learn a lot from her she heard when isaac spake to esau his son maybe she had her ear to the door and esau went to the field to hunt for vincent and to bring it six and rebecca spake unto jacob her son saying behold I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now she gets Jacob involved. She is plotting, she is planning. She had a favorite son, Jacob. Esau was Isaac's favorite son. And like I say, it's not only problematic, it's also very painful to have favourite. Children, let's keep reading on, 8. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. So, the mother has started to plot, verse 5. She now wants her son, verse 8, to obey her voice according to the command which I give thee. 9. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two kids, two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savoury meat for thy father such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. So she will prepare the meal. What do they say? If you want to get to a man's heart, go through his stomach. This mother is behaving in a very shocking way. She should have known better. She should be setting a better example to Jacob, but she's more interested in not only getting a blessing for Jacob, but stealing it from Esau. (coughs) 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. He's slightly worried. Can you pull it off? My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. Absolutely. I mean, it's bad enough that this family are trying to reverse what Almighty God has told them will happen. If that wasn't bad enough, they now want to mix it all up. And of course, you know what's going on. The devil is in the background trying to thwart the Lord's will. He has been busy since the fall of man. He's still very busy today going around trying to mess people up. Nothing new under the sun, but it's like this. We don't need to blame the devil for all of our transgressions. If the truth be known, we do the work for him due to our own sin nature. The devil doesn't need to spend five minutes with the average saved man or woman today. Because the average saved man or woman today is doing the work of the devil for him. The old nature, you see. That's not to say that he doesn't help you along the way, if you know what I mean. But if the truth be known, if the truth be known, we do most of the work for him. And here I think Rebecca is doing what she is doing due to her Adamic sin, but on top of that, also due to her own sin. 13. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. Jesus Christ became a sin offering for us. He became a curse for us. Jesus Christ went to the cross, despising the death, or despising the shame, I should say. That sort of curse that is a good curse, if you will. That's a sort of death which is a good death, if you will. Somebody doing something for you. But here, I can't see a good curse here. I can't see anything good coming out of this curse. And 13, the mother is trying to reassure Jacob that all will be well, that she will take the curse. Like, does it say in uh, Matthew 27, let his blood be on us and on our children the same kind of thing she's a saved woman I believe that but I don't understand necessarily why she is doing what she is doing 14 and he went and fetched and brought them to his mother and his mother made save meat such as his father loved so the conspiracy continues and I want to call this message curse conspiracy collusion and this is concerning a saved woman. Not an unsaved woman. Not an unsaved woman, but a saved woman. But it gets worse. 15. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, a younger son, And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the saviour meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. She's now ransacked the kids' wardrobes. She's gone to Esau's wardrobe. She's emptied it. She has put Esau's clothing on Jacob. And on top of that she has taken the skins of the kids of the goats verse 16 upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck so if it you know if it wasn't bad enough that she has colluded and planned with Jacob to deceive Isaac that wasn't bad enough she has also gone to her son's wardrobe taken his clothing put it on to Jacob to allow this conspiracy to continue. Shocking. 17 again, and she gave the savoury meat and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So she's cooked the food. She has clothed her son. She has taken this curse, which would have come to Jacob and she's taken it onto herself. She too has lacked faith, obviously. But if you talk about treachery, this is it. If you talk about betrayal, this is it. I mean, for a mother, for a mother to, put, uh, to betray her son in such a shocking way is just too much to really comprehend. But one more time, we don't want to kid ourselves when we look at the Old Testament, when we look, about, when we look at uh, people such as Rebecca or Sarah, or Rachel we know that they weren't uh, sinless we know that they were far from sinless they too would need a savior like you and I but for the Muslims one more time they have a problem because they believe that their prophets were sinless but only Jesus Christ was sinless 18 and he came unto his father and said my father And he said, here am I. Who art thou, my son? This will be the first chance for Jacob to confess. Going back to, where art thou, Adam? And Adam, as you know, would blame Eve. And Eve would blame the serpent. Nobody came clean. Cain, where's your brother Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? Same type of thing. Nobody came clean. But thank the Lord... The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Who art thou, my son? Nineteen and Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I've done according as thou badest me arise and arise. I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison that my soul, that thy soul may bless me. He's given the chance to confess. He blows it. He lies. One more time. I'm Esau, thy firstborn. I've done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee. Sit and eat so my and that thy soul may bless me. He's now lying. And this is what happens when you start to plan and plot. You start to scheme. You start to deceive people. It not only affects you, obviously, but it affects All those around you. 20. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. He lies again, and that wasn't bad enough, he uses the Lord as an alibi. He says, The Lord thy God brought it to me. Shocking. 21. And Isaac said unto Jacob, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son, Esau, or not. The second chance to come clean. Isaac isn't overly sure. Isaac isn't a fool. Yes, he's almost blind, but he's not a fool. He knows his son's voice, and yet at the same time, he can't quite bring himself to think that perhaps Jacob has deceived him or is in the process of deceiving him. Second chance to come clean. I pray thee that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Come near, I pray thee. Second chance, and he blows it. 22, and Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said the voice, the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau, He's got some suspicion. But at the same time, like most parents, he doesn't want to believe that one of his sons could be so wicked, so sly, so shameless, so sacrilegious. 23, and he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. He's not completely sure. Now, I think it's possible that he's got some inkling as to what's going on, but he's not overly sure, and he wants his son to come clean. This is a great picture of Almighty God calling on sinners to come clean, calling on people to get saved, or if they are saved, to come back into fellowship with the Lord. 25 and he said bring it near to me And I will eat of my son's venison, That my soul may bless thee And he brought it near to him And he did eat And he brought him wine And he drank So Isaac will move on now He thinks to himself Well I've asked my son more than once He has told me more than once That he is uh, Esau And I will believe him And it finishes with the term How he and brought him wine and he did drink. We get onto the subject of alcohol, a somewhat contentious subject. Paul would tell Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake, for his often infirmities. As I was researching Oliver Cromwell, and I finished, incidentally, for those that may wish to know, I was very interested to read that not only did Cromwell smoke, he also drank alcohol. Now, he wasn't an alcoholic, but He would enjoy alcohol. He would drink alcohol, recreational, of course. And he would also enjoy tobacco. Charles Spurgeon would also like to drink alcohol. But is it wise? Is it wise to drink alcohol? Does it help your testimony? Does it honour the Lord? And I think you know the answer, don't you? Of course. But here, food has been presented. Wine has been presented. And Isaac has enjoyed such. 26, and his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled <coughs> the smell of his raiment <coughs> and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as a smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Matthew 13, Jesus Christ has died for the field being a picture of the world and here you got a similar theme in place, 28 Therefore God gave thee of the dew of heaven excuse me, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine let people serve thee and nations and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee pretty self-explanatory Joseph is a type of Jesus, and Joseph was Lord over his uh, brethren. Jesus Christ is the Lord, and he was very much Lord over his brethren, being the children of Israel. And here, the nations are going to be in submission, in, in a submission to Israel. Not yet, obviously, but one day, like during the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 13, it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that he saw his brother, came in hunting, came in from his hunting, so the blessing has taken place, a transaction has taken place, if you think of the old mafia films, for example, and I can't think of another way to explain this, but if you think of for example, uh, The Godfather, Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Godfather 3, maybe some of you watched that, maybe some of you haven't watched it, I don't know. But if you think of the, uh, the transfer power, for example, when uh, Don Coraloni dies, played by uh, Marlon Brando, he's the Don, he's the Mafia boss, and he passes the uh, power to Michael Coraloni, played by uh, Al Pacini. Al Pacini, and he becomes the next Don. It's, a, it's the same kind of thing, if you will. Maybe I can give you a better analogy <laughs> as I work through uh, the book of Genesis, trying to uh, uh, keep it clear and precise. My goal, incidentally, when I do these types of videos, is to present the Bible as clearly as I can. I don't offer myself as a scholar. I'm just an ordinary self-taught and Bible-believing Christian. If you want to get a real detailed exegesis in an, in a, in an environment not as wild as this, then uh, perhaps join me Sunday mornings. But this is the best way for me to do this type of thing from the open air pulpit. But the blessing has been given, The if you will. The transfer of power has taken place. And now Esau, his brother, has come in from his hunting, 30, 31. And he also made savory meat and brought it unto his father. And said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless thee, completely oblivious as to what has just happened. Jacob took his birthright from him. And now Jacob has taken the blessing from him. And yes, I do feel partly sorry for Esau. 32, and Isaac, his father said unto him, who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. Now the penny has dropped. Isaac knows he's being being deceived. But he is perhaps slightly in denial; hence, why he puts the question to Esau. Thirty-three, and Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, "Who, where is he that hath taken venison, and brought it to me? And I have eaten of, and I have eaten of all before thou camest, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed." He's angry. He's shocked. He's also hurt that one of his sons would do such a thing. On top of that, he knows that his favorite son, Esau, has now missed out (coughs) on the blessing. 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried, with a great and exceeding bitter cry. And said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. So, favoritism. Number one, it's wrong. Number two, it causes a lot of pain. Number three, it can ruin families. Frank Sinatra had three children. He had two girls and a boy. And Frank Sinatra's favorite child was his firstborn, Nancy Sinatra. Thought the world of her. Gave her a car when she was 18, 19, worth $100,000. Did a couple of songs with her launched her music career, she had some number one hits. She was the favorite out of his three children. As a result, his son, Frank Sinatra Jr., would spend years in counseling, would hang around with the wrong types of people. The youngest of the three, Tina Sinatra, would see counselors, psychiatrists, would spend years in therapy. Why? Well, number one, Frank, their father, was never around. Number two, Frank's favorite, out of the three was Nancy. She was very much his blue-eyed girl. And number three, he'd moved on. He divorced their mother for Ava Gardner. Went off with Ava, divorced her, married Mia Farrow, divorced her, married Barbara Marx, and remained with her until her death last month. Incidentally, she converted to Catholicism. To marry Frank Sinatra But the point is this Frank Sinatra had three children With his first wife And he had a favourite child As a result Bitterness, resentment, insecurity Crept in Counselling, psychiatrists Psychologists But Esau Has been cheated again Esau has been robbed Once again And Isaac 33 trembled very exceedingly. He is, he is uh, infuriated. He's also deeply shocked. 34, Esau heard the words of his father, cries with a great and exceeding and bitter cry, says to his father, bless me, even me also. Oh, my father, please, father, do something for me. Do anything for me. You can just feel the, the friction, the tension, the pain as to what is going on here. 35. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. Esau. Number one, doesn't know that his mother is a part of this. Number two, that she has cooked Isaac's favorite meal. And number three, that she has taken Esau's clothing and put such onto Jacob. If he was aware of that, he would be devastated. And he said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Father, can you do anything for me? Can you give me anything? He's desperate now. And I feel for him. 37. And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him my lord. And all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? I can't reverse the blessing. I can't go back to Jacob and take the blessing from him. Once the power had passed. Like in America, once the outgoing president goes out and the new one comes in, you can't reverse that. Or once the outgoing Prime Minister and the new Prime Minister comes into Britain, you can't reverse that. Once you sign a legal document, you can't reverse it. Once the don has been made, the term they use for the Mafia, you cannot reverse it. 38. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. You can't help but uh, be sympathetic, partly, to Esau. Although he wasn't a perfect boy, although he wasn't uh, one of the greats from the Old Testament, on this point, on this point, he has been deceived by his brother and mother 39 and isaac's father answered and said unto him behold thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above and by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck sword violence leading into ishmael Leading into Muhammad, leading into a very violent group of people. 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So he's going to start to plan and plot. He's angry. He is disgruntled. He is hard done by. And again, you can empathize with him. You can feel his pain and agony, but go back to the birthright issue. He gave it away willy-nilly, nobody forced him to do so. He thought nothing of his birthright. And as a result of that, this is now leading into a loss of a blessing, not his salvation. Now let me say this, I don't know if Esau was saved, But most commentaries, when they go to Hebrews, and Hebrews picks up on this uh, account, they believe that you can lose your salvation, unfortunately, and that somehow Esau lost his. But I don't know if Esau was ever saved to begin with. I just don't know. 42. And these words of Esau, her eldest son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob a younger son and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Your brother is going to kill you. Your brother is going to wait patiently and when the time is right, kill you. And this is one of the downsides, again, of favoritism. You've got a couple of parents chosen by the Lord for service, promised that their sons would play a huge part in the future state of Israel. And yet they couldn't wait. They jumped the gun like Abraham and Hagar. And now Rebecca has the awful worry that perhaps she will lose Jacob, that Esau will kill Jacob like Cain killed Abel. And if that takes place, she knows that Esau will have to be put to death. Because if you take a life, you lose a life, right? She is worried. 43. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of both of you, of you both in one day? Okay, fair enough. You can understand her desire to move him to a safe house, like they say, to get him out of danger. But she is partly responsible for this. She starts to plan. She starts to plot. She gets her son involved. They conspire together. They lie together, they deceive Isaac. As a result, Esau is destroyed, distraught, disgruntled. And now she wants to get him, Jacob, to her brother's home. 46, and Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are the daughters of the land What good shall my life do to me? I may just as well be dead. The thought of my son marrying Gentiles, marrying people of a different race, of a different background, is just too much for Rebecca, which feeds into separation, which feeds into segregation. And yes, the Lord is very interested in separation and segregation, not in the sense of Again, the U.S. Civil War or the Civil Rights Movement back in the 1960s, but, but in reference to not yoking up with unsaved people because they will contaminate you. They will seek to destroy you. And on top of that, they will try and turn you into an atheist. 28. one, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Isaac cannot undo what has been done. He cannot undo the blessing, which is a picture of sin. Once you sin, you cannot go back and undo what you have done. You have to live with the consequences. So here, Isaac, perhaps for the first time in a long time, is now in agreement with his wife concerning the safety of Jacob. But on top of that, he wants Jacob to know that it is unacceptable for Jacob to take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, which feeds back into separation, which feeds back into segregation. And like I say, last Sunday, I was able to finish 2 Corinthians chapter six, which speaks about separation, which speaks about spiritual segregation. And if you don't separate, if you don't segregate yourself from unsaved people, you risk being ruined. You risk being contaminated. In fact, I was told one story last week about a woman who was a saved woman, got people saved, married the wrong man, and is now an atheist. You've got to be so careful who you associate with. Two, arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Keep it in the family. Saved people marry saved people, right? You don't marry an unsaved person. Because if you do, for example, if you are a saved woman, and you are dating a Catholic, and you get married, the pressure will be to raise your children in the Catholic Church. Or if you are a saved man dating a Catholic woman, she will insist on having a Catholic wedding and the priest that does the wedding will insist that your children will go through the Catholic system. I mean, all the heartache that will come down the way for you, down the line for you, if you're not careful, don't do it. If you're saved, marry a saved person. And if you don't know somebody who is saved, don't get married. Three and god almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which god gave unto abraham so although jacob was wrong in his behavior the promise hasn't been rescinded the promise hasn't been revoked almighty god will have him a people. Almighty God will choose a Messiah from the people, and the people are the Jews, and the Jews will serve Jehovah. Nothing, no one will change that. Five, and Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Penanaram unto Laban son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's, and Esau's mother. Very much a family affair, if you think about King David, for example, his sons worked for him, his sons were on the throne, if you will, alongside him, his sons were very powerful in his kingdom. Jesus Christ has sons, and his sons, of course, are the church. We are the people of God, we are the sons of God, 1 John chapter 3 going back to Almighty God choosing one man in one nation to be the saviour of the world, which goes back to John 14.6, Acts 4.12. 6. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram, to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and was gone to Padanaram, and Esau seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac's father, then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which she had Mahaleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife. You've got this unholy alliance And excuse the perhaps mispronunciation there But you've got this unholy alliance You've got Esau angry Esau teaming up with Ishmael And again, if you take the Islamic line That Ishmael is a forerunner Or was a descendant of Muhammad You've got this very unhelpful union, shall we say And here Esau is going to marry one of the wives of Ishmael. Why? To get back at his parents. Which goes back one more time to favoritism. If you spend any time looking through, or going back over the last couple of hundred years, looking at well-known families, saved or unsaved, nine times out of ten, if there is favoritism which has taken place in such families, it results in people deliberately getting back at their parents through marrying undesirables, marrying people that they know their parents are going to be just infuriated about. And here Esau is wanting to cause maximum pain to his parents. 10. And Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took off the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down that place to sleep. When I think of stones, when I think of pillars, when I think of altars, I think of number one, the future temple which Solomon would build. Number two, I think of the church. The church is built on the Old Testament prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Paul speaks about the pillars the foundation and again once you have that built once you have the church built and it is built you don't need to build on it anymore or you don't need to relay the foundation that's probably a better way of putting it once a foundation has been set you don't need to lay it again yes you can build on it but you don't have to relay the foundation and here you've got uh, Jacob preparing, not necessarily aware as to what he's doing, but he is preparing the uh, foundation for the future temple. What we don't know is how much the Old Testament men and women knew about future events. They were very much living with limited light. Saved by faith, of course, in the one true God. Saved by believing on a promise not born again, not regenerated. But when it came to the greater picture, we can't be sure just as to how much they knew, which in some ways is a great picture for those of us today, how the just should live by faith. We have to take each and every day as it comes. 12, and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Jesus Christ speaks about the same kind of thing. John chapter 1. And of course, he is Jacob's ladder. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. And he said, uh, what would you think if you saw angels descending and ascending? Ascending, descending on the Son of Man, Son of God. And he said, I'll show you greater things than that. And here, Jacob is being prepped. Prepared. He's also getting a vision as to what Jesus Christ was speaking about from John chapter 1, going back to Abraham, saw this day and rejoiced, or he rejoiced to see this day. When Abraham offered up Isaac, he got a glimpse of Calvary, that's my understanding, and here Jacob is getting a glimpse of Jesus Christ being the ultimate ladder bridge mediator between heaven and earth 13 and behold the Lord stood above it and said i am the lord god of abraham thy father and the god of isaac the land whereon thou liest to thee will i give it and to thy seed and thy seed shall be as a dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Absolutely. You've got Jews and Gentiles all over the world, but mainly Gentiles, that are saved by believing in the Jewish Messiah. The Jews, for the most part, don't believe on him, and therefore they are written off, if you will, cast off. And Jesus speaks about such from uh, Matthew 8, cast into outer darkness, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. But... As a result of them being cast off, we, the Gentiles, are blessed. But on top of that wonderful truth, you've got the millennial reign one more time. got the new earth. You've got Israel in the driving seat. 15. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In some ways, this is a great picture of eternal security. He could have said to Jacob, you messed up. You lied, you deceived. You worked hand in hand with your mother. You were pretty reprobate. But he doesn't say that because the blessing has been given to Abraham. And that blessing will come to pass no matter what. And yes, he will judge Jacob for his sins along the way, like he will judge your sins, my sins along the way. But when it comes to our salvation, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? Like how awesome is this place? There is none other but the house of God. And this is a gate of heaven. Bethel, house of God, dream, vision. He's seen something remarkable. He's seen the Lord. He's heard a message feeding into the first coming. Going back to Abraham, seeing Calvary. 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Oil type of the Holy Ghost. You've got, in some ways, a holy land. You've got, in some ways, something sacred. You've got, in some ways, something supernatural taking place. But at the same time, we don't know how much Of this Jacob really understood. But it's not relevant really. Because he's living by faith. And he is walking. Step by step. Like a baby. Like a toddler. When it takes its first steps. And he called the name of that place. Bethel. Or Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Bethel meaning house of God. 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Tenth, spoil, tithe. And I'll discuss that next time. But here you've got Jacob wanting wanting the Lord to give him a sign, give him something else, which he was entitled to ask because the Jews seek after a sign and they are entitled to have such. Whereas the church, being Gentile for the most part, are not entitled to anything. But go back to what I said a few moments ago. He's living by faith. He's got limited knowledge, limited revelation. He doesn't know what... This is ultimately going to lead into, yes, he knows that the land is his. He knows that something special is going to come from him, but he couldn't really have grasped the enormity of it, I don't think, anyway. So we will leave it there in verse 22 before my voice packs up. And I'd say a few things, that Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, church-age saints are all saved the same way, God's righteousness At Christ's expense, what we don't want to do is become guilty of becoming apologists for sin. We don't want to say, well, because we are carnal or we are sinful or we have Adam's old nature that somehow we can't help what we do. You were told to strive against sin. You were told to deny yourself. You were told to pick up your cross each and every day. You were told to reckon yourself dead. Uh, to the law, but alive to the Lord. You were told you could do all things through Christ who strengthened you. There's so many things in Scripture, but what you will never achieve in this life is perfection. You will never be perfect 24-7. You will have times where you will be victorious, of course, but not all of the time. So I think for today, looking at these chapters from the book of Genesis, such a fascinating book. What you've seen are, or is one particular family, mum, dad, two boys. The mother is close to Jacob. The father is close to Esau. They lacked faith, patience. They were plotting, they were planning, they were deceiving. Isaac seems to have been the victim, first and foremost. Then Esau, but Esau was a bad boy, shall we say, and therefore it didn't take much to rob him of his blessing. He missed out with the birthright, he missed out with the blessing, but the promise still stood. No matter what the boys did or did not do, no matter what their parents did or did not do, the Lord had made a decree. He made it very clear how the eldest would serve the youngest. And Esau was always going to be in submission to Jacob. Esau the eldest, Jacob the younger. Cain was the firstborn, but was no good. Esau was the firstborn, but was no good. Abel was the secondborn, was good. Jacob was the secondborn, and was good. But go back to the two natures, if you will, to some extent. Go back to the plotting, the planning, the lack of faith. The curses, the deception, I mean, it's all there. It's all in this book. It's all in this book. And if you think that you wouldn't do such a thing, I would suggest that perhaps you are kidding yourself. I think if your kingdom was threatened, if you thought that one of your children was about to lose out on a blessing, you would do whatever it took to... Retain the blessing for your child. But favoritism, I believe is wrong, is sinful. And as you've already seen, it can result in one brother wanting to kill another. And when that gets back to Rebecca and Isaac, they are fearful. They are worried. They know that Esau could quite easily kill Jacob. Esau is a man in the field, whereas Jacob is a reserved sort of guy, able to do his own thing. And if they don't move quickly, if they don't intervene quickly, they will lose both of their sons. So I think for today, you've had enough. And I've been speaking for over an hour and 40 minutes. So I will wrap this message up and next time, pick it up, Lord willing, from uh, Genesis, chapter 29. May the Lord bless you all in Jesus name. Amen and Maranatha.